Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Seasons. And uh, like Chris said earlier in the welcome, uh, you know, we all go through seasons in life. That's just stages of life, honeymoon period, tough times, uh, you know, midlife crisis. I don't know if anybody's ever gone through that season. There's different seasons. We kind of have names for some of them, but we all get the concept of seasons. I'm going to give you a brief recap of last week just to lay down a foundation, although I can't do it justice. You'll have to go back and watch it if you really want to, you know, if I say something that recaps something that you want to hear, okay? We tried to just answer the basic like what, uh, why, and how last week of uh, seasons. So what are seasons? That's kind of where we started. Well, again, we kind of call them periods of time. Uh, the scriptures uh, give us a picture of seasons. As a matter of Ecclesiastes, which is a wonderful uh, book in the Old Testament to read that King Solomon uh, wrote and gave us, talks about seasons. So in chapter 3, he says, For everything there's a season, a time for every activity. Under heaven, And so he actually lists them. He says there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to you know, hold things together, and a time to give away. And he goes through about 16 of these different sort of activities. And then he summarizes, or at least I find the summary in chapter, uh, in later on in verse 11, he says, God's made everything beautiful in its own time, talking about these seasons. He says he's planted eternity in the human heart, and even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end, meaning simply this, all right, that, that we, God has planted eternity in our heart, meaning that we know there's more. Regardless of what season you're in, you know there's more to life. As a matter of fact, if you're breathing, there's another season. You can t- tweet that out, right? If you're, if you're breathing, there's another season coming, I can promise you. And so there's, there's this idea that, but even then, even with you seeing and understanding a little bit of that, you can't, we can't understand the full scope of God's work and the full scope from beginning to end, what God is up to and God is doing through the seasons, the many seasons uh, in our lives. And so we talked about how they work, okay? How do seasons work? And I'll just give you again a brief thing. We talked about they have all have beginnings, middles, and ends. Today we're focused more on the middle. And then last week I showed you a graph, really just me. I, sh- I kind of graphed out the last five years for me in three main areas of my life just to show you that you know, our seasons are not quite linear, like you know, it's, we started this thing, and then we had a middle, and then we had an end to this season, and sandwiched at the end of that season was the beginning of this other season. It doesn't really work that way. We have multiple things happening at multiple times. We're in multiple seasons in our lives at one time. Welcome to the complexity of being a human, right? That's just, that's just the way it works. There's layers upon layers of the seasons that we're experiencing with work and kids and, and faith and our understanding and health, everything else. That's just a part of understanding seasons. I really do feel like that's important. And then we talked about why seasons, and I didn't have a good, I'll just be honest, I didn't have a good answer for that. Uh, I just said, why seasons? Because God. That's my answer to the why seasons. Because God said so. Because it can't be winter all the time, right? And it can't be summer all the time. And it can't, we can't always be growing. We have to have times of rest. We have to, you know, can't always be going. We have to have times of reflection. So he built into the, just the system of our lives this operation of seasons I did share last week four areas that, that kind of give us an idea of why God's doing something in our season and what that might be, and I just shared four. Sometimes it's God's purpose, kind of realigning our purpose with his purpose or the ultimate purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Sometimes it's an issue of God's timing. That may be why there's a transitional season in your life or a season isn't, isn't, isn't ending that you think should be ending. There could be a timing aspect of this. 
Could be training, which is discipline. Kind of there's, there's seasons in our lives, quite frankly, whether it's a choice we made, whether it's a consequence we're walking through because of our disobedience and because of things we've ch- chosen in our life. We're walking through some things that it's time of training. It's a time of discipline. He disciplines those he loves. And then I said, and sometimes it's just God's grace. Because we might not have the full answer and the full scope. We may not understand what he's doing, but every time we're in a season, no matter whether we fully understand it or partially understand it, we can see God's grace because his grace is sufficient no matter what. No matter what season is, his grace is sufficient for us. So today, we're going to jump in and kind of tackle this how to process a season, how to process a current season. And this is something that we don't do very often. Matter of fact, I don't know where you are coming from this morning. I don't know where your spiritual background is. I don't know where you are on your faith journey. We're glad you're here at at our church and at Journey. But here's the deal. I know this for for a fact. Every one of us processes seasons the same way. Every one of us does. We process seasons after they've happened. Am I right? Nod your head if you agree with me. Okay. Why do we do that? Because it's easier. Because then we look back and we go, oh, there was the, remember, that's when it started. Remember that when it happened in the beginning of that? Oh, that's right. And there's the middle. Remember when we lived there and we were doing this and that's, remember that dry spell? Remember that thing? We always look back and then we, and then because it has an end to it, it's clear, right? Oh, then then that that happened and that, you know, that finalizer, that didn't go the way I thought it would, but we have some sort of end to it. So we all process seasons in hindsight, but very few do what I would call the hard work. The hard work to, to try to process the current season you're in, to try to get better at understanding the middle part of a season, to really not just pay attention to what God's doing, because I think that as believers, we're called to do that, to grow and to continue to pay attention to what God might be doing in the middle of one of our seasons. But I really do believe that for most of us, um, we're called to process the current season so that we don't miss what God might have for us in that season. So what I decided to do today, this is just, I just want to help you understand. We're going to look at the life of someone uh, historically in terms of the Bible. We're going to look at a character, and we're going to look at his life. And I want to use this life as an illustration, okay, an illustration of how we can help process current seasons uh, that we're in. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you. There's two slides. We're going to look at the seasons of Joseph, the son of Jacob. All right. Now, what I did is I listed eight of them. You can write down the reference or snap a picture of the screen. I challenge you to go read all of this. I challenge you to look at this up on your own. I can't read all of it. The purpose of the scripture this morning, I'm not going to draw it out and expound some sort of blow your mind with what this Hebrew word means. That's not the purpose of what I'm doing today. Okay. And if it ever feels like I'm rushing it through through scripture and you're like, well, Matt just doesn't value the Bible. It's not true. And if you feel like I'm rushing, I am because it's a massive story. And I can't get through it all, and children will revolt and take over and overthrow their teachers at some point if we just went too long, okay? So, so part of this this morning is just to help you kind of jump in and out of the seasons of Joseph's life so, uh, to help us understand how we can best process the seasons when we're in the middle of our season. So we're going to dive into these little middle parts of, 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 uh, of Joseph's season. So let me give you some context of Joseph. Who's Joseph? Well, Joseph is the son of Jacob. Jacob is the third patriarch of our faith. In the Old Testament, you will read oftentimes where it says, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of, say it out loud, Jacob. Jacob's the third patriarch in our, in our faith. Now, Jacob also had 12 sons, 
And as you read the Old Testament, you'll oftentimes hear about the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of the Hebrew nation. That's after his 12 sons. So it's a big deal. And the last really quarter, if you will, almost quarter of the book of Genesis is given to one son, and his name is Joseph. Joseph, Jacob's son. That's who we're talking about right now. One of the sons who's one of the tribes of Israel is Joseph. And we're going to read, look at his seasons in his story. Let's just dive in, okay? And then we'll we'll stop along the way, and I'll summarize, and we'll pull out some things for us. Starts in Genesis 37. And these, and I have uh, below, I have uh, the the seasons that we listed earlier, the seasons that I just kind of categorized in. It says, Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. Isaac had lived as a foreigner. And it says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers and sons of his father's wives, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. I want you to see these words, that Jacob loved Joseph. Okay, he did. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been given to him and he'd born in an old age. So one day, Jacob made a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. You might have heard this as a coat of many colors. It's, it's, it's different translations of what it is. It says, but his brothers hated Joseph. Why? Because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, we're not going to justify the, the brother's behavior, but I do want to set the context up again, middle of the story. You do see that Jacob is, I mean, Joseph is loved by Jacob. Joseph is experiencing the love, if you will, of an incredible father who loves him. Now, one of the reasons is because Jacob now, I don't know how it works. Jacob is not the baby, but because there's 12 kids, he's second to last, so he's one of the babies. Nod your head if you're with me, right? He's one of the babies. You have 12 children, I don't even know how you keep up with who the baby is, okay? He's one of the babies, okay? Now, you don't really get the context. If you read the story on your own, you'll see that, you know, you don't really know if he's socially awkward. We already know he's a tattletale, and he has no trouble with that, you know? And, and let's just face it, if you have multiple children, I mean, all children are liars, but one child lies less than all the rest of them, right? You know who to go talk to if you want to know. Nod your head. You know that's true. You know who to go talk to if you want to know what's going on with the other kids. Every family has that, all right? Now, we know that this is happening because he, he has these dreams, and God has given uh, Joseph these dreams, and he shares them with his brothers. He's like, you know, we're all out the field. We're, we're bundling some hay, and all of your hay bundles bow down to mine. And he talks one time about this dream he has of stars, and there's a, 11 brothers other than Joseph. There's 11 brothers, and there's 11 stars, and they all bow down to him. And you don't know if he's so socially awkward that he doesn't understand that he's coming off as a jerk to his brothers, or let's face it, he's just being a jerk to his brothers. He's 17 years old. That's not out of the question. It doesn't justify the brother's behavior, but it does help us understand that, that he was hated by his brothers. And so one time, Jacob wants to know what's going on, so he sends the tattletale out to go check on the brothers. And here's what happens. We jump back into the story. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at a great distance, and he approached them. They said they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal eat him. Eat him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And the brothers have a little squabble, and one tries to convince the rest not to kill their brother. Tries to lay out a plan to keep him safe, but they end up still selling him 
to, 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 to slave traders. Basically, they end up selling him to slave traders for very little. They, they, they coat his robe in blood, and they take it back and tell the dad the story that he was killed and eaten by an animal. And so this is a harsh thing to come at the very beginning of Joshua's story, but I think this is important. And this is an important lesson when you and I are processing seasons that I think we need to know, okay? It's that our season or a season's beginning, a season's start, does not determine its end, okay? The way a season starts does not always determine the way a season's going to end, I think this is important. You see this in Joseph's life. He is loved by his father. He is surrounded by his father, and yet he is also surrounded by hatred at the same time. He, he has this beautiful experience of, 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 of security and safety, but he also is just right close to it, his experiences, or experiences, but it is there is the evil and hatred of this world. Very close. And for, and for us, we need to understand that you know, that, that principle that a season start does not determine its end, because I really do believe, and especially if you're younger in the room, just, just pay attention. I really do believe that our kids, and maybe you experienced this in your adolescence, you had to learn this lesson the hard way, that a season does not, a beginning of a season, a season start does not determine uh, its end. A lot of kids and adolescents go from the protective bubble and a little too helicopter parents, and they're unprepared to deal with the rejection and betrayal and the evil and the hatred of this world. I think kids sometimes start out college with the idea that they can do anything and they can be anything and they're unprepared for the brutal workforce they will face and the hard work it's going to need to get to do even do what they want to do. Marriages can start off this way in the honeymoon phase, right? Honeymoon season. But because you didn't take the time to work on issues that you either, you know, glazed over at the beginning or you were just so blind to because of your love, they come back harder, they come back more damaging later in your marriage. And what's worse about this, and the reason I say this for us as believers, what's worse about this for believers is that in our immaturity as Christians, we will often jump to the conclusion that God is not there, that he's dropped the ball, that he's failing on his part of the job, when our seasons end very differently than how they began. And I have no choice but to think about this in terms of Joseph's life. I mean, listen, Jacob... In terms of, especially the Old Testament, Jacob is the picture of God's love to Joseph. And, and he was, his protection and his security was there through Jacob. And for something like this to happen in his family, for, for the evil and the hatred and this rejection and betrayal to happen within his own family, was just one sign that Jacob really couldn't protect him. So Joseph himself could have also struggled with, an, with a picture of God, and yet we see in Scripture that God was with him even through the midst of this. That's a, big, that's a big point of this. That God even was still with him, even though he had to experience the harsh reality of that evil and that hatred from his brothers. We can't always just determine, again, our, our beginning, our start doesn't always determine the end of our seasons. We'll see this even more as we continue on. Uh, if you read in, uh, if you jump down to chapter 39, we see that after he was given to these uh, Ishmaelite traders, he says Joseph was taken to Egypt he was purchased by Potiphar, who was an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And I want you to read these five words out loud because this needs to stick in our head for just a moment. Let's read this together. The Lord was with Joseph. Let's just read it one more time. Let's read it together. The Lord was with Joseph. All right, I'm going to have you read it like you're awake and paying attention with me in the morning. Okay, I understand. It's, it's okay. This is just how we participate in church. Let's read it out loud together. You ready? All right. 
the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything that he did as he served the home of his Egyptian master. And, and for this, I think this is important to know that, that it, even, it even makes reference to the fact that he was with him in the well, he was with him in the cistern, that there's this consistent time in which he is with, with Joseph, even though it's kind of making the best of a bad case scenario. But here he is. He's in Potiphar's house. It goes on to say that Potiphar loves him, that Potiphar treats him well, that Potiphar puts him in charge of everything in his house, and that he has no worries and no concerns. And really, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal job that he's given in Potiphar's house. Now, it's not a perfect job. The reason it's not a perfect job is because of Mrs. Potiphar, okay? Mrs. Potiphar. She's a little bit of a predator, all right? And she's tired of, I guess, taking advantage of the pool boy. And she sets her eyes on Joseph. And here's what happens. We jump in and it says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. And it says that she came in and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on and sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. And she goes on to make up a story where Joseph, this Hebrew slave that has become too big for his britches, has taken advantage of her and has attacked her, and that she's the victim of this. She tells this to her husband. And Potiphar goes on and says, Potiphar was so furious when he heard his wife's story, and you need to read in this that there really was no room for Joseph's story. This is the wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. Leave this slide up for me if you wouldn't mind. I, I want you to see these three words that represent this season. Uh, undeserved, unfair, and unreasonable. Just to have in your mind. Because here's what I want you to see. Maybe, maybe you have gone this far in life and you have not experienced a brutal rejection or betrayal in your life, and that's wonderful. And maybe you can't necessarily identify with being uh, falsely accused in terms of just the outcome happening the same way it was with Joseph, but I think all of us can admit at some point in our lives we have gone through a season that we have felt was undeserved, unfair, and unreasonable. I think most of us can, can identify with that. Look, look, he had an amazing job, and Potiphar treated him very well. It was, it, he did not deserve to be the object, uh, the, you know, be treated like an object, especially by Mrs. Potiphar, right? Be objectified. He was unfair of him to always in his job have to sidestep around that situation or to put up boundaries to protect himself. It certainly wasn't fair. And it was very unreasonable and unfair for Potiphar to, to accept what was falsely accused of Joseph, who had done so well for him for so long, and to immediately believe his wife and then throw him in prison. And the reason I say this in terms of this uh, understanding that God is with us, you have to understand this point, that God is with us no matter the season, right? Is that where I am? Help me where I am. Yeah. God is with us no matter the season. The reason I wanted us to go there is because when, when the stuff hits the fan, let me just put it that way, when the stuff hits the fan in our, in our lives, and again, going back to the first point, we believe God's not there, he's dropped the ball, he's not doing what he's supposed to do, he didn't live up to his end of, the, end of the bargain. Because most of us have been trained from an early age to see God in the good times, 
Okay? To see God in the good times. Why? Because we teach our children, our young people, that He works all things together for good, for those who love God, for called according to His purpose, that you know, when you experience the blessing, it's from God. When you experience this good thing, it's from God. You know, and we all can you know, tend to have this leaning that on the mountaintop we will recognize God because that's where we're grateful and we're appreciative and we praise Him. And let's all be honest that the moment something hits the fan, the moment we walk through the valley, the moment something fails, especially when it's undeserved, unfair, and unreasonable, we all assume God is not there. Nod your head if you agree, right? Why do we assume that? Because we did everything right. That's why. In our minds, we did everything right. Same with Joseph. We did everything right. We followed the rules. We kept our hands clean. We stayed sober. We didn't do the stuff that our other friends were doing. We went to church on Sunday. We, we gave to that mission project, right? We did it all right. We took the high road. It still happened. God, where are you? Are you even paying attention? And we believe he's not there. And I wish I could just stop at this point because, I mean, honestly, I... Some of you just need to sit on, I could preach on this for another hour. And, and, and no matter what I said, I could quote verses to you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that Jesus said, I'll be with you until the end of the age. I could give you verse after verse and example after example, that no matter the season you're in, he is with you, but you would still leave here and you wouldn't believe it because of the season that you're in right now. Because you can't get past that it was undeserved, and it was unfair, and it was unreasonable. You can't get past it. But we see as we jump back into the story that Joseph, once again, experiences, even when, the, even when this happened and it wasn't fair, he experiences God's faithful love, that God is with him. Matter of fact, we'll keep going. It says the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. The Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was, say the words out loud, with him and caused everything he did to succeed. God was with him. Again, making the best out of a worst case situation. God was showing him favor and his faithful love. In that season. Now I gotta move along with the story. He he actually serves in this role for years in the prison. He serves in this role for years in the prison. He sees God at work with him. And again, the ward, he's he's in charge again to the warden. He's the second in command. He's he's the guy, you know, that is over all the other prisoners. And now uh, this is a prison for the king's officials, okay? So think less, you know, it's less Guantanamo, more club med, right? In terms, of the, in terms of where prisons go. <clears throat> it's still prison. But, but just for us to have con- uh, context, two more officers just one day get thrown into prison. It's a baker and a cupbearer. And they both one night have a dream. They both have a dream one night. We jump into the story. And Joseph goes to them and says, why do you guys look so worried today? And he asked them and they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one could tell us what they mean. And Joseph says, hey, interpreting dreams is God's business. He replied, he says, but go ahead and tell me your dreams. I mean, Joseph, you know, he trusts God. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. God will interpret it. That's his business. 
tell me what, tell me what the dreams are. So I can't, again, I can't go into all of it. I'm rushing through. Uh, the baker has a dream. The cupbearer has a dream. The baker has a not so great dream. There's going to be some impaling and death involved, okay? And that's not good. The cupbearer, however, has a dream that says he's going to be reinstated. And so I want you to see how Joseph sort of responds. He tells them both what the dreams mean. He doesn't shy back, but he does say this to the cupbearer. He says, and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. He goes on to say, I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. He's sort of pleading his case. And he goes on to say later, he, Pharaoh, restored the chief cupbearer to his former position. So he could again once hand Pharaoh his cup. And you go on, it says Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. This is the third thing I think we should just pull from this, is that God values, okay, God values our obedience in the midst of uncertainty. I, I labored over the wording of this, and I want to tell you why, but I just begin to put ourselves in the context of this, to put ourselves in the middle of this. This is the first record we have of Joseph sort of pleading his case, of Joseph begging someone to help him, of Joseph asking someone to, to, to take this on themselves to help him out. And he begs for him, look, you're going to be reinstated. I'm telling you what's going to come true. Yes, the baker, the baker got exactly what he said he was going to get, but, and the cupbearer got what he was going to get, but the cupbearer goes and forgets him, forgets him. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes. How long did Joseph wait in anticipation for the warden to say his name, right? To be praying faithfully to God. To hear the warden say his name, Joseph, the Pharaoh has pardoned you. You know, in like every, you know, every Hollywood, uh, you know, prison scene where he walks out in the clothes he had on and between the chain link fence down to the road, right? You guys all picture that with me, right? He walks out and who's out there at the road but the cupbearer, right? And an old caddy leaning up against an old Cadillac and they just go hug each other. This is a Hallmark movie, really, but it's like they hug each other and they cry. It's a beautiful moment, right? How long do you think Joseph prayed and prayed and prayed and waited and waited and waited only to realize he had been forgotten? That's a very, very tough place to be. Again, especially when he did the right thing. It's going to sneeze coming, sorry. Y'all get that feeling? You know. Okay, I think I'm okay. That's a very tough place to be, to do the right thing, to take the high road, to um, to really work through, again, being in the best possible scenario. I mean, he's still in prison. Best possible scenario and the worst case thing. And to do the right thing and to have this opportunity to have someone plead his case for him. I think what, what, I, need, what I want you to hear from this is that most of us are more than happy to obey to surrender, to take the high road, to live God's way when we feel there's some sort of guarantee to the outcome, the outcome should be what we want it to be. Right? Nod your head if you agree with me. But because it's, listen, we live in such uncertainty, especially in the middle of a season, it's so uncertain. 
and we place those outcomes in our prayers and we place those outcomes on God. And then again, when he doesn't come through, when he doesn't deliver on the outcomes, we sacrifice our obedience. Well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to choose that way anymore. I'm not going to follow his way. I get it. Listen, I get it. Again, I want you to hear this. It is very difficult. It's very difficult to submit to a spouse, to sacrificially love a spouse. When you're in the middle of a marriage crisis and and what you're going to do, you feel like it's not even going to be recognized by the other person. It's very difficult to do the right thing at work when it's unseen and you're not even sure that you're going to get the credit for it. Matter of fact, it's more than likely that your boss will get the credit for it and look great, and and then when it comes time for review, it will all be but forgotten. It's difficult to tithe and to live God's way financially in our life, and we don't have any idea how the bills are going to get met. God sees what no one else sees. That's what I want you to hear. And He values our obedience even when no one else sees it. That we can't be so caught up and only doing it because the outcome. We have to be doing it because he's called us to do it. We have to be faithful. God showed him his faithful love. You know, Joseph in return was faithful to God in the worst, in the best way, in the worst case scenario, God making the best of his situation. He was faithful and was able to experience some success in that area. And yet he was forgotten. Again, I can't promise you that you won't pray for something, anticipate something, wait for something, and it be unreceived and all but forgotten. That's seemingly. And guys, I wish you could just sit with us for a minute, but it's three years. Okay? It's three years. Remember I asked how long do you think Joseph waited? Anticipated? When did he finally realize that it wasn't going to happen? Well, it's three years later. Three years after he interprets the dream. Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream that's so disturbing and so upsets him, he calls everyone in his house, everyone of his officials, everybody to the table, tells them the dream, and is just waiting for someone to help him interpret the dream, and no one can do it. And then the cupbearer goes, oh, my bad, right? That's what, like you, everybody's in the cupbearer's moment. You feel it. I was supposed to say something. Do you remember the, you don't remember the baker. The baker before the baker and me, like you threw us in prison and we had, listen, we had a dream there and, and, and this guy, this guy in the prison, he's like under the warden. He was able to interpret the dream and I was supposed to say something and I feel bad because I was supposed to say something again, my bad, but, but, but I think he might be able to do the same for you. He tells Pharaoh. So they call Joseph. Joseph, of course, listens to the dream. God gives Joseph the interpretation of the dream and doesn't just give Joseph the interpretation of the dream. Joseph decides to give, because it's a big, big issue. There's going to be, you know, it's, it's 14 years this dream spans, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, how it's going to affect the world. Joseph not only tells him the dream, but he tells him the solution of how to solve it and for Egypt to come out on top. And all of a sudden, this is where we jump back in the story, 
Pharaoh asks his officials, can anyone find, right? Can we, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Rhetorical question, the answer was no. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of this dreams to you, clearly there is no one else intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of all my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Oh, so I just want to preach this verse. Listen, this is a whole other sermon, but I want you to just, just, just take it away. Just see this. Does anybody else recognize that the, place that, that the place that Joseph served in the last 20 years of his life was second in charge to the person who was ultimately in charge? Everybody recognize that? Only to be trained and set up to be the second in charge to the one who was ultimately in charge? Does that, not, does that not somehow fill you with an understanding that we are in charge of the mission that Christ left us here to do, and we answer to the one who's ultimately in charge of everything, that we have that same role? It's beautiful. It's beautiful what God was doing in the story. And, and, and again, think about everything. You know, here's, I mean, there's no other way to say this, but... F- Hashtag finally, right? I mean, it's just one of those moments like everything's coming up Joseph, right? That's what's happening. I mean, it's seven years of plenty, and Joseph is in charge, and he does everything, and God gives him success again in everything that he's doing. Then the famine starts, and again, they're, they're coming out on top. Side flash over to, back to uh, Canaan. All right, and it goes on. We're going to jump back in where it says, Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, and he looked at his son and said, why are you standing around looking at one another? That's a dad statement, isn't it? Isn't that great? Why are you dummies looking at each other? And, you know, yeah. He says, he heard there's grain in Egypt. So he says, go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we'll die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers, uh, Benjamin stayed behind, the baby, he said, Joseph's 10 older brother went down to Egypt to buy grain. Then in verse 6, he says, since Joseph was governor, of all Egypt, and in charge of selling the grain to all the people. It was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they, say the word, bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Fulfillment of a dream when he was 17 years old. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to him, to them. Uh, I have to fill this in, okay? I want to bring out the point, and then I want to let me fill it in, and then I'll bring out the point. You're gonna, I can't read it all, but you're going to go into the section where you understand that, that Joseph, he puts his brothers to a test because they make a comment about being remorseful, you know? I mean, they didn't use the word karma, but they kind of believed that, hey, what we did to our brothers coming back on us. And, he, and, and Joseph hears this and understands it in their language, in the Hebrew language, and doesn't tell him he knows. And he kind of puts his brothers through several tests to sort of just see if, if, if they really are repentant, if they really are remorseful. And, and you can tell he's torn. He's, he's living with huge tension. There's several times as you read that he goes away and just weeps because of what he's dealing with, with, with seeing his brothers again. But here's what I want you to draw out from, from just the end of this story. It's not really the end of the story, but here's what you see. Not only does God value our obedience in the midst of uncertainty, that listen, you have to understand this. Each season, right? Each and every season we're in gives us opportunities for success and failure. 
They, they really do. I don't want you just to see this in, in you know, because it's so easy in Joseph's life to see this when he was in the valley. It's so easy to see it when he was in prison or when he was in Potiphar's house, that he had opportunities to rise up to be successful, for God to show favor uh, to him. There's opportunities there, but there were also opportunities to fail. There was also opportunities that, were, that would, if he chose to live his own way or to chose to, to do his own thing, that he would have failed. I mean, he was in a situation with his brothers. Like, he couldn't have been in a more powerful situation to act out justified vengeance on his brothers. The kind that, you know, later on when he told stories at dinner parties, everyone would have said, absolutely, man, Joseph, I would have done the exact same thing. And the thing I want you to take away from this is, look, it's not just the valleys. It's not just the low times. It's not just the hard times, the rejected and the, and, and the, you know, the undeserved times. It's when you get everything you want. It's when everything's coming up you. It's when you get the success and you get the power. You have the opportunity to continue in success or to choose failure. Solomon tells us again that there's a way that seems right to a man. But that way leads to destruction. That even in this moment, Joseph is led with a challenge and an opportunity to choose vengeance over trusting God. You need to see that. It's not just in the valley. It's not just in the hard times. It's when you get everything you want. It's when you're at the height of it that you have to even be more careful to make sure that you live God's way, that you trust God, that you know that he's with you on that mountaintop so that you don't come tumbling down. There's a thousand, thousand choices every season that we have to make. I truly believe when you live a life that you understand, look, that the steps that I take, you can't guarantee the outcomes, but listen, the steps that I take today, they do determine what I'm going to experience tomorrow. That they do. That it matters the decision I make right now. Can't keep putting this off. We're given these opportunities no matter the season. Each season comes with them the good and the bad. Wrap up his story. Let's jump back in. He says, Joseph is after the testing. This is after he's gotten his father, um, the little brother and all that back. He said, Joseph couldn't stand any longer. Uh, There were many people in the room. He said to his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers and he told them who he was. He said he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace, meaning your second in charge is freaking out. That's basically what they said. Please come closer, he said to his brothers. So they came closer, and he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. And I love this sentence. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. That's, a, that's such a statement of maturity. It was God who sent me here. Matter of fact, later on, uh, later on in, uh, I think it's the last chapter, uh, it's after Jacob dies, it's, a, it's after there's other cool things that set up the, the story for why, why the Hebrew nation was slaves in Egypt. It sets it all up at the end of Genesis, but uh, it starts off, again, season starts off good, it doesn't end well, but it starts off well in terms of Joseph, what he was able to do for his family and for all the people that would come from that area and reside in, the, in the, just the beauty of Egypt. He later on, Jacob dies and his brothers are worried that maybe Jacob was the only reason that Joseph didn't you know, have vengeance, and so they make up some weird story, and 
He reminds them. Joseph once again says it again. He says, look, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Another translation says, you intended it for evil. God intended it for good. He brought me here to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So I say, all, I take you through that story. I know it's so much of a story to kind of get through this morning, but I take you through that story just to remind you that in the midst of all these seasons, it's too easy to read Joseph's story and go from the very beginning and go to the very end and go, oh, that's cool. Look at that season in Joseph's life. No. You got to understand the middles of all those seasons. And you got to know that the challenge was there in Joseph's life to process what God was doing in his seasons. He certainly had a lot of seasons that did not end the way they started, right? I'm going to put all four of them back up for you just so you can see. He certainly had a lot of seasons that didn't didn't end the way they started. He had to be convinced, even through the good times and the bad, that God was with him. And God showing him his faithful love so that he would in turn be faithful. That even when it wasn't seen, even when he took the high road and it wasn't appreciated and it wasn't remembered, even when he, he trusted obedience over the outcome, it didn't instantly happen. And that regardless of whether it was in Potiphar's house or the prison or when he was riding the highest high of all the power and all the success that you could have possibly imagined, that he still continually had choices to succeed or fail. And he had to trust that God was with him. And he had to lean into that obedience of living God's way. So I don't know where you are. This is this again. I don't, I don't claim to know where you, what season you're going through. And I don't know out of those eight or nine categories that I put up there, if there's one of those seasons that just kind of identifies with where you are right now. My challenge today is don't wait until it's over and miss what God's doing in your season. Take the time. Ask the questions. Trust in obedience over outcome. Like work through the season you're in and begin to process it so that you can grow from it, so that you can learn from it, so you can get even more out of that season before the next season begins. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about how do we prepare for seasons that might be coming. There is a way to prepare. There's a way to, 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 to take some of these same principles of understanding seasons and how to process seasons and lock them into how do we prepare for what's next. Let's pray together this morning. God, I'm so thankful again for the way your word challenges us. My prayer this morning, God, for those that are listening right now, those who will be listening later, for those that are here. God, we all are in the midst of several seasons and in the middle of a lot of things going on in our lives right now. That God, that we would do the work, that we would, even just taking a story like Joseph or any story we want to really, and just helping kind of use those as examples to help us process and learn some of these truths. If there's any one truth, God, today that you would resonate in our hearts is that no matter the season, you are with us. Emmanuel, God, is with us. Thank you so much for the gift of your Son and the gift of your Spirit so that we can claim that, so that we can believe that, so we can, no matter what's going on, we can trust the truth of that, that no matter the season we're in, you are with us. 
God, may we lean in to a surrendered life of obedience. Even when the outcome doesn't seem to happen, even when things seem to be forgotten, even when we're rejected and betrayed and it's undeserved and unfair, no matter the season, God, let us lean in and trust you. Help us as we learn to process those things that we're going through right now so even now we can begin to prepare for what you have for us that's next. We pray all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.